Welcome everybody to episode 006 of the Core 4 Podcast. We are here March 20th, 2019, the night thereof. We saw the Yankees lose tonight, or well this afternoon-ish, whatever that was, to the Houston Astros by a score of 2-1. to one. Um, We saw a nice RBI double, which was three in a row for Gary Sanchez of that variety. We saw... George Springer get a little bit upset at Gleyber Torres, which was not necessarily an unprecedented event. It was funny. George Springer uh, hit a you know well-hit ball up the middle, which Gleyber Torres made a beautiful play on it at shortstop and fired it over to Luke Voigt. Uh, oh man, it was it was nice. And George Springer took immense aversion to such a play and was like, you know, <laughs> it was kind of weird. Yeah, like it, very I mean, uncalled for. Yeah, it was uncalled for considering see, it's March. Well, yeah, it doesn't really matter. It's an exhibition at like, that. All, all that matters is that you're making hard contact and you're do and you're like as a pitcher, you're executing pitches. As a hitter, you're making hard contact and hitting the hitting the ball the other way at that point. Make sure. I, right. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I get yeah. that, but like if I'm a hitter, if I'm a hitter, like I obviously want to get hits. But, you know, it is spring. You're looking for hard contact and things. But, like, once you make hard contact, the stats, you're hitting stats while you may care about them and you want to do well. Obviously, George Spring is a, a fierce competitor. He wants ah. to do well. And once you make hard contact, the guys in the field are also conditioning themselves for April and beyond. I mean, the, the, like, Glaber Torres isn't the only guy putting in 100% in the field because he's playing a position that he's going to have to play in some capacity come, you know, come springtime. Do you see later he hit that ball really, really hard, just right at Andujar? And yeah, I don't know if you saw the replay, but he was pissed again. And it was like, dude, you just yeah, hit a screaming ball, line yeah. drive. Yeah. yeah. And he threw the ball to who the hell knows. <laughs> like that was, yeah, was, oh, that was so boy. ugly. That's another, I don't want to get killed by the Miguel Andujar apologist, but like. No, it was a terrible throw. He shouldn't have thrown it. Yeah. I mean, see, the thing is like <laughs> when, when I played first base all my years, like I, I, Similar to this play, I would have I would have nice sure hands, and then once I decided to go and make a play across the diamond and try and throw somebody out of third base, like my coach and my teammates would absolutely just like lose years off the line of the ball because my my arm was not bad but so horribly inaccurate that it was if rendered on some sort of like analytical scale would be such a negative that I don't even know if it's necessary. What, are we talking like like 60, 70 arm strength, but like 30 accuracy? 60, 70 is, is generous. You know, I, I'm not, mm. I'm not Luke Voigt. I'm trying to help you. Right here. All right, yeah, well, I, I appreciate the, uh, the graciousness, but like, yeah, in essence, it was like that. And I was, I was very, uh, I was a loose cannon over at mm. first base. And I thought I had a much better arm than I did, which, you know, which is like that sometimes. Yeah, you know it is like and, uh, that. Some, someone, can... someone who who we've noticed with the Yankees has uh, whose arm was was uh, not where it usually is for this time oh. of the year. Uh, is it who I think? Given given oh, uh, how spring training comes together is um Dylan Betances. Oh, I thought uh, we were going we into Clint Frazier slander, but Dylan oh, Betances. No. That, we, we might save that for later. What was the throw? I'm sorry, I know we're going to Betances right now, but like the throw that Clint had today. That's that what I thought just... we were talking about. Clint Frazier uh, making I, a very Andy. I watched Clint, Clint, Clint Frazier play the most uninspired right field I've ever seen. The Yankees had some bad defense today. Like the thing with Judge, just, Judge kind of misplaying a ball. Darren Judge did not play in today's game. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was 
Let's, let's, let's um, scratch that. Let's scratch that part. Okay. It's no, cool. no. Um, Max is thinking about when Aaron Judge misplayed a ball against the Rays the other day and it allowed was, a run. That was yesterday. Field. Yeah. So Max, that was ugly. Though. You're right. Yeah, it was ugly. It's within the same stretch. It's within the margin of error. Yeah, 24 so, hours it counts. We're gonna allow Max the benefit of the doubt on that one. But that's that's strike one and two. That's on me. I just we play, I've played so many baseball games over the last couple of uh, days. Yeah. I just I just get mixed yeah, up with okay. what's Emerson baseball, what's real baseball, what's uh, okay. It's on, I don't think still. it's hard to tell. <laughs> but still, like yeah, yeah, the Yankees actually has hasn't has been great. Just one's a good team and one is a college team. <laughs> all right, yeah, don't be hanging on my slander immediately. To the subject of, of, of Batanzas, he, he had his first kid. He reported late to spring training. Congrats, Dallin, if you're listening. Um, and, and uh, you know, uh, the injury to Batanzas is one of the ones that I've noticed people aren't annoyed with or, or slandering him for because it's attached to the birth of a child, which is a joyous occasion, which I think it's great that people are granting him that that respect, I guess. But the issue at hand is like he I think he might have tried too hard to be eighth inning lockdown reliever Dylan Batansis after never being that in spring training and then trying to throw too hard, mm-hmm. you know, a week yeah. in. And he felt he had to play catch up. It's like when you go out and you know you get back from somewhere like an hour late and everyone's going out and you gotta play catch up and it's just like, oh shit, like I gotta do something I'm not used to. <laughs> and that's what Dylan was doing. Dylan took ten shots in a half hour and Right, in a pitching sense. Deal, and then yeah, he yeah, essentially. But like let's also thank God he said something. Like and like so like actually was like, yeah, I, I care about like my teammates and so and so. So like I thought it was like my duty to get an MRI. Like no, he did. He got an MRI. Okay. Yeah, because okay. he was talking about that was the Cashman was, was talking yeah. about how they had been asking him, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And eventually, he just decided, you know what, this doesn't feel right. Um, <laughs> and the thing about the Batansis injury is, I look at it, I look at the the roster, and I'm not super worried. I don't know about I'm you guys. Either. Right now, Adam Adovino is projected to pitch like the sixth inning, and like exactly, that's seventh. (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. What a shame that one of the best relievers in baseball will move from pitching the sixth to pitching the seventh, and you have Zach Britton, who was the most dominant closer in baseball within the last couple of years, pitching your eighth (laughs) your eighth innings. Oh no, the Yankees will be fine. Oh yeah, other thing is. Yeah, you're right. They have the depth uh, to get around it. Yeah, and also, um, he's not going to be out, you know, for a ridiculous amount of time. No, I mean you would hope not, but like all all signs are pointing to him being back within a week. Well, or two he's supposed of to the be season start. He's supposed to throw. I think they said from yesterday it would be three to five days of rest plus anti-inflammatories to get the shoulder to calm down, and then, um, you know. Back into a throwing program, so you know he might be back the second week of the regular season. He's taking Something some like that. Advil, and he'll be back out there. That's I mean, yeah, that's essentially on it. what it is. He's <laughs> taking some like IV profen. I don't know. It, it, it's almost. I don't think the team would make an excuse no, for him, but you know, it, it just gives him two extra weeks to just. 
like this is not that bad because like looking, he's not the greatest starter regardless. So like he's where he's just not pitching in the right time. Like last year, like hit, like him, he was terrible to be in the season. And then he figured it out. Like it's just him. He's just not going to actually go through that. Those games, those game reps at the beginning. He's just going to be uh, but that almost, rehabbing. And that's not that, the worst thing. That almost worries me a little bit more. Okay. That we're just pro- prolonging the inevitable at that point. But I think at this point that Dylan is just so talented and so like, I mean, like the, the, the whole like little May, April slip ups that he had was only really the last two years. And before that, he was posting like 1.8 ERAs for the entire season. So not to say that he was by any means bad last year. He posted like a 2.7, but like, I don't in, know. In, I, I'm not too worried. Well, you you, you, you kind worried. of have to watch out for the, the fake um, sort of outlier stats that exist in reliever numbers just because in in April and March he was he appeared in 11 games and he allowed six earned runs which isn't a crazy amount but he did it in only 11 innings yeah. and that results in an ERA just under five a 4.91 and so also we have to understand that like he was pitching this was when Boone was like yeah we're gonna have you pitch multiple innings and like, yeah. I, just oh this thing. My God. I mean it, it was during the playoffs don't get me wrong he looked great during the playoffs Pitching multiple innings, but just during a season, I guess he just did, he just that wasn't something he's, he was comfortable with, which hasn't really been something that he's been comfortable with. Like during, the I season actually forgot stuff. about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, he, it was so valid because like Twitter was all over that, and like I don't put too much stake into like the Twitter managers or the Twitter GMs, but like that was one thing that was pretty much clear as day to see is that and I give Boone a little bit of slack because he was you know still feeling out the in and outs mm-hmm. of the job, but like after a while, you had to realize that Dellen was only going to throw one inning. Effective. Yeah, also, as soon as he went back to one, just pitching one inning, he was great. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah. I actually completely forgot about that, and it and it kind of does make a lot more sense as to why he struggled. And hopefully, Aaron Boone learned his lesson in that regard. And yeah, I, I hope mean, he doesn't do the same thing to Adam Adovino. I don't know his his propensity to you know either thrive or struggle after one inning of play or whatever. But I'm hoping that he doesn't have to go through the same learning curve, or even with Zach Britton, because he's only had a few months of. Uh, experience managing him, but you know, I think Ad- we're going to see a bit of an improvement already. From I'm looking at it now, and, and Ottavino has actually had um, a decent amount of success. At least if if you just isolate last year with Colorado, he's gone an inning in two thirds. He he was the setup man there for for Wade Davis when he was healthy, and um, he was the kind of pitcher that could have gone in in the seventh to get the last two outs and then pitch the eighth in order to have that bridge. And so that that's one of the reasons that I look at it and, and I don't have the sort of skies falling uh, feeling that you have when you lose someone of, of, uh, you know, center fielder caliber, Aaron Hicks um, starting, you know, ace number one starter, Luis Severino, then, you know, I, I don't want to say you can replace Dylan Batances, but you can, have some kind of can though role. with this pen. Yeah, you can fill his role pretty, you know, effectively with, yeah, with what's I mean, there. That's like the least of our concerns. And, and the like, most, Hicks, I feel. Yeah. go for it, Max. Oh uh, yeah. So the most of our like we were talking. I think Andy and I were talking about this earlier. The most of our concerns should still be Aaron Hicks. Like whenever you yeah, hear the, the word chronic, chronic back, pain. back yeah, man, that's, yeah, that's scary. This word chronic it just scares you. Yeah. So they just like signed him to that extension. Exactly. I mean, the extension I'm not too worried about because... And back pain is something, is something that, that lasts. Yeah, back pain does last and back pain does affect your daily life. But yeah. in terms of the extension, I'm not as worried as I am about this season. 
because yeah, I agree. When you. it comes to Don't an extension, five now. years from oh well, yeah, number one, the contract it doesn't have anything like it's done. He would have been here anyway. Yeah, about. yeah, we can't do anything about it now. But when I hear chronic back pain, I think that chronic pain is not only an everyday thing, but it's an all day everything, everyday thing. That like hence the nature of of chronic pain. But the other thing with chronic pain in any capacity, be it your back, and then you know we he made the distinction between this is a muscular thing and not a spinal thing which I'm not sure if there's any real inherent benefit to that. I think there is because it's a little bit easier to treat. Yeah, and there it's definitely a little bit more is. common. Well, it's like, not I'm like sure he's not dealing um he's not dealing with something like spinal stenosis like exactly. like he's right to need some spinal realignment or anything. But the right, it's not like he's having the Peyton Manning neck surgery. Oh yeah, thank God. But the thing is like once you understand it and once you kind of assess the situation you're able I mean, pretty quickly, especially with the caliber of care that the Yankees can provide for a player, you're able to quickly assess the, I guess, the treatment plan and the management plan for this. And since it's chronic and it's really not going away and it's something you have to accept, you have to build up just that much more strength. It's similar to like what we were talking about, I think, last episode with Luis Severino and like a shoulder inflammation. While inflammation is a bit easier to cure with a couple medications and a cortisone shot, chronic pain. You have to build up that extra level of strength to endure daily activities. And in Aaron Hicks's case, endure being a starting center fielder for a major league baseball team, which is a eight month commitment. Oh, it's an arduous task. But the yeah, thing is, you know, no had, but like he will be able to get used to it if he builds up that extra amount of strength, I think. And I'm not going to go playing Dr. James Andrews, but all things like to really dumb it down once he builds up that base level of endurance and of strength and ability to cope with this on a daily basis. I think he should be just fine and it'll, it'll bother him. But the point where he already has that, that foundation where it won't necessarily be a detractor from his performance. I'm more in the frame of mind of that. He should be taking as much time as he needs to get it put together. Now I know that he wanted to be there for opening day and then he wanted to be there for the second series of the season against Detroit. And to be honest with you watching the way that Brett Gardner has played, I know that spring training numbers are are useless to a majority of, of people, but you start getting into this last week of games and you start, you know, we look at baseball players as having, you know, their last 30 at bats and that's a hot streak or their last 30 at bats. And that's, oh man, they, they're two for 28 and that's Thanks. really bad. Um, and we're starting to get to a point where we're, a lot of these guys are going to be riding into the 2019 regular season on, on really, really good runs. Aaron judge mm-hmm. is hitting the ball ridiculously well. Stanton's starting to come too. around. Sanchez, Sanchez is starting to do the thing that we talked about before, you know, of, of hitting the ball to right center field when he gets fastballs and, and <clears throat> using that approach to be ready to pull off speed mistakes into left field. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you look at all that and, and, and you enjoy seeing that those guys are doing not only the, the right fundamental stuff, but it's having really great results. It's not like Judge is poking singles the opposite yeah. way. He's it's hitting like these are accidents. Right. No, well, he's hitting O2, O2 fastball, no stride. Yeah, oh, 450 feet to center field. That like, no stride swing, that two strike approach that Aaron Judge has been missing for the past two years, that the New York Yankees have been missing for the past two years, that we really only see 
and players like Brett Gardner, Gleyber Torres, and Miguel Andujar off the top of my head. I'm sure there are more, but those are the ones that really strike me as being yeah. you know, two strike hitters. And Aaron Judge is always, you know, like he's the full count merchant, like he's the guy. But like we obviously know the the tale about his strikeouts and that propensity. But like seeing Aaron Judge do that and not even take a leg kick and hit the ball 450 450 feet to center field with authority. Oh my god, that does my pants get shorter every time I see that. <laughs> and like, yeah, I mean, the thing with Gary Sanchez is when I saw him yesterday, one hop. A, line, a hard line drive off the right center field wall. All I could think about was game four of the ALCS. Yeah, and how Gary is that. Oh my God. That was, I was literally back, watching. Yeah, I I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to, you know, yeah, go drinking yeah. anything, but that's all I could think about was, oh my God, this is happening. I think he just got his timing done. I really think it's as simple <laughs> as that. Yeah, because he was like a little bit up. He started late. One. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he started late. He was obviously, you know, he had injury problems last year. So, and he had the shoulder I am going to completely forget that 2018 Gary Sanchez ever walked the face of the earth. Yeah, I think I think that's reasonable to a certain degree. I think yeah. you can sort of, you know, you've swung a baseball bat before. You know how important your front hand is. And he imagine exactly. having your front shoulder be, you know, in a ton of pain. I mean, it was at that point where he needed surgery. Yeah. You know, I think it surprised most people, you know, obviously it surprised me that, that it came out that, that, that was something that he needed done. And so I looked into his batted ball stat, his, his pop-up rate went up like 9% or something like that. And I that, forget the exact number. Screams, I'm, I'm dropping my shoulder. I'm right. Exactly. You're pulling out too often and, and you're opening up too early. And as a result, you lose your power that you get when you rotate your hips through. And yep. so that was something that he, you know, he struggled with, but at the same time, it's sort of like, Oh, it wasn't because he lost his ability to be, you know, a top notch major league hitter. It was because it was really hurting him to be yeah. the Gary Sanchez that was taking the league by storm by hitting 290 in 2016 and hitting 280 in 2017. I mean, he's not yeah. going to, you don't, you don't lose that ability. No, you, just you don't. don't. Especially not in a year, maybe over 10 years you do, but like you don't just lose right, it in right, a year right. but for no reason. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is like when his shoulder hurting and like we mentioned the, the, I guess like the, the side effects, I guess of like a sore front, you know, sore front shoulder and things like that. When you feel that pain in your front, and your your top half, and you're trying to swing a baseball bat. I guess one's natural instinct would be to overcompensate with the lower half, which we know is obviously bothering him with the injured groin and whatever whatever other slew of problems he was having. So when you're compromised on both halves of your body, that it requires to like swing a baseball uh, swing a baseball bat and do so effectively, you're not going to be the hitter that you were. I mean, right. nothing you, it's not your fault. No. Nothing you can do about it at that point. And that's why he had the surgery. And that's why, you know, we're, we're seeing it, it work out well for him now. Uh, speaking of, of surgeries, and luckily we're not talking about one that's happening. Um, Luis Severino had the um, shoulder inflammation. CC Zabathia had uh, another knee clean out over the offseason and the heart procedure and everything and and we end up at the point where you have two of your projected starting five um headed to the injured list to start the regular season and so the yankees went out and signed Gio gonzalez the terms yes, there are did. 
Um, it's a minor league contract with a base salary of $3 million. Um, should he be promoted to the big league club? Uh, if he is promoted, which he has to be by April 20th, or he will be able to request his release. He will be able to make $300,000 per start. It's an incentive laden deal, which has sort of, you know, it screams Scott Boris, you know, creative contract. That, yeah, that man is always putting in loopholes that no one really understands. It's a very sort of both team and player friendly deal at the same time, because if Gonzalez looks good in spring training for the Yankees, but doesn't crack the big league club, he'll have shown something to everyone else who's scouting the Yankees. Yeah. And he could end up, you know, he's got 29 other teams who have seen him um, and, and can put the, that together um, pretty easily. And so, I'm I'm all the all the ideas that I had in my head of Gio Gonzalez ending up on the Yankees a did not end in him eventually signing yeah, a minor league none deal. None of us did. Yeah, like, I mean we didn't. That was why I said it wasn't a good idea. I mean, we uh, all if, said he wasn't um, going to sign here. Like, I figured um, he the wouldn't. Last episode. Like, right. We oh all yeah. Brian was saying that you still thought it was going to be an in-house guy, and honestly, if the if we hadn't seen Gio pitching Yankee jersey in Yankee Uni. It's probably not a great. It's not. It's probably means something that can go well. Well, I, yeah. mean, I, I would. No, I, would, I don't I think, think that's you true. Out to be a little, a little more, a little worse off sounding than it actually is. I think certainly that the struggles of Jonathan Loizaga in spring training have contributed to the fact that the Yankees felt compelled to go sign Gio Gonzalez. But I also think that this was in Cashman's back pocket for a while now. <laughs> Because, I mean, like, it's it's not been a secret that fans wanted him on the team because of the veteran presence and because of, he's much more of a sure thing than, than Domingo Herman or Jonathan Loisga or Luis Sessa, for that matter, even though he's absolutely dazzled in the spring. Um, I, I You know, I, I think the writing was all there on the wall, and maybe the struggles of Loisga early on kind of pushed Cashman over the edge. And now that he's here, I'm happy about it. And now that he's here on these terms, I'm even more happy about it. Yeah, yeah I think it's unbelievable. Yeah, I didn't. I, I mean, so no, um, um, MLB right, Trade Rumors, who usually has a pretty solid uh, grasp on on free agent projections, had Gio Gonzalez at um, two years, 12 million per. So 224, which is the DJ LeMahieu contract. Um, and everyone hated. <laughs> that's a whole yeah, so other topic. Bad this spring, but, uh, <laughs> spring training numbers. Um, exactly. But <laughs> I mean. Like, I, he had a great Gonzalez had a great stretch run when he was pitching in in the higher leverage environment that was Milwaukee as they had their run towards the central and the wild card yeah, and like everything like that. Yeah, like a sub two ERA, it's in, like two point two something like that. It was yeah, really whatever. Good. It was something really. It was like kind of like a hap with the Yankees type thing. Yeah, a shorter sample, he's but very yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, he's, mm. he's a talented pitcher. I mean, I he's, he, very, he's, he's good. Not, he's good. He had here's what here's here's what what troubles, you know, the the person who has looked into this, the the peripherals with Gio Gonzalez is that his walk rate went up. His strikeout rate went down, um, but that he is working on a sinker that is generating more ground balls. He's going to rely less on trying to be fastball curveball. And sort of work in that sort of crafty lefty. I mean, he's not that old. He's 33. So, you know, he still has yeah, CC Zabathia did the same thing where he went from throwing 98 to um, 
you know, working high 80s, but having, you know, the cutter, the slider, all that stuff to to work, you know, to, to get hitters out and, and have them almost get themselves out instead. And so I think Gonzalez has that sort of um, craftiness as well as just the, the sheer ability. I mean, he his curveball is, is is stunning with it's it's got massive break. It's it's a great pitch. It's just a matter of using it better because I think he what ended up happening was his fastball lost effectiveness. He threw his curveball more and the swing and swing and miss rate on his curveball dropped to nine percent, which is Yikes. not good. No. See, but, now that you mentioned you mentioned him like building up his sinker, and maybe this is just like my recency bias, and um, like what's it called? I um, like I, I don't remember things very well, but I feel like I've seen this off season in particular so many pitchers, like noteworthy top of the line pitchers. Not I'm not saying Geo is those guys, but like these guys are going to their new teams or staying on their teams and saying like I'm going to develop a new pitch. I don't know if that's like, well, I don't know if it's a an anomaly from 2018 through 2000, uh, 2019, or if it's like the market of hitters demands it so much that these pitchers need to adapt. And like we see people say, oh, there's a lack of offense, like pitchers are too good. But like I've seen like Trevor Bauer, I mentioned that I love Trevor Bauer and he's talking about. And showing the world that he's developing a, a changeup, which is already to an elite level. And like, I don't know. And James Paxson is incorporating a cutter and these things like, is this, is this new? No, I'm not saying it's new that pit, uh, pitchers are evolving, but like, is it new that so many are just adopting these new pitches for what seems like a response to the market of such great hitting? It's a bit like that, but it's also a, a matter of, of, avoiding past tendencies um trevor bauer threw six pitches in 2018 and he threw that change up seven percent of the time which means he threw he threw um through 200 total change ups out of you know i think the number is probably around three thousand four thousand pitches mm-hmm. uh, uh just under just under three thousand so um I think by throwing it more, he wants more confidence in it and wants more um, comfort in being able to use it more because he threw almost just under 40% fastballs and just under 30% curveballs. And, um, you know, I think he wants to um, be a guy who isn't that next year. And I think that that's a smart way to pitch because someone will dig into your video, dig into your pitch sequencing and say, oh, yeah, he throws 37% four seamers and 27% curveballs and you're sort of like, all right, so I know that those are the first two things I got to watch out for. But then if he's, you know, I think he had an outing where he threw like 20 straight changeups the other day in, in Arizona. And he seems like the kind of goofy guy that would. Just oh yeah. I mean, it's like, I know as a Yankee fan, this, this is brutal, but it was like when Lance McCullers closed out that ALCS right. game, throwing 20 something straight curveballs. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, no, I mean, that no, was a playoff game. It's not like that was, you know, spring. you can you can mess around and throw whatever you want in spring training. No one really cares as long as you don't tear your UCL doing it or hurt somebody or, you know, but right. yeah, like, the thing is, like Trevor Bauer is such an analytically driven guy and he's shifted it so much of like greater conversations in baseball, be it 
expanding your repertoire of pitches or, you know, being an ambassador for the game, but also kind of on a more unrelated note going off of Trevor Bauer is he kind of made some news. I don't remember exactly if it was during the off season or during the season slash the beginning of the off season, but he kind of made a bit of a splash on social media saying that once he hits free agency, he doesn't, he's not going to look to sign a long-term deal with any team. He's going to try and, I guess, try out this idea of signing one year deals year after year after year, because he feels it's fair to himself and fair to teams. If he's paid what he's worth every single year. And that is, I think extremely odd. I don't, you know, we see a lot of talk of loyalty in sports and like players have no loyalty anymore. They just want to, you know, they just want to chase money and they just want to chase contracts. And I'm not saying any of these guys are like that, but we have seen in this off season, like five top of the line, top 15 noteworthy, like MVP candidate players sign very, very high AAV, high total value extensions with their teams or contracts in general, like Bryce Harper was a new contract, Nolan Arenado extension, Alex Bregman extension, Mike Trout just yesterday, $432 million over 12 years to stay with the Los Angeles Angels. And you look at this and you see that the, like the greater implications that it has on the game of baseball and its superstars. And I think it's kind of like a cool distinction to be made to look at the difference in a guy like Trevor Bauer, who is for all intents and purposes, an internet troll and a nerd playing baseball. And then a guy like Mike Trout, who I don't know what the angels have done for him personally that he feels they like they gave him a lot of money obviously I mean before that I'm talking about before that they gave him a lot even they drafted him they did draft him yeah, but like and they signed him an extension also no I mean they signed him also to an extension yeah well he wanted to it's interesting because Trout, Trout really changed his mind um he had the you know they wanted to lock him up to the point that he's locked up now um Right off the bat, you know, after his like 23 season where he was a 10 win player and, and, you know, it was sort of like, oh, wow, this guy's really, you know, he put up, I think he in his second full season, he put up 10.2 fan graph for and the year before it was like 10.1 or I might have flipped them, but he had two 10 win seasons. And it was sort of like, oh, my gosh, this is really who this guy is. Like, this is an elite center fielder who can hit for power, hit for average, get on base, steal bases, play, you know, above average center field. And it's sort of like, Oh my God. Um, and they wanted to sign him, but he sort of said no. And he first went with that extension that got him through age 28, which is, you know, that was in 2011, 2012 ish. Um, And so we're here where we are, where he's signing through till 37 or 38. And so, you know, he had sort of wanted to be that free agent. And I think that he just decided that 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 wasn't his his speed. I think he saw what happened with Harper and I think he just didn't want to be out there and and be, you know, the superstar who needs a home because, it, you know, it ended up being, yeah. it, it seems ended up being annoying. I got sick yeah, of I, think well, I was more than Harper. sick of him and Brian, yeah, uh, him and Mayor at a point more than sick of it. But I think it, it like, I'm not going to go being the, 
like the moral judge here, but like, or the character judge, but like, I think it does speak. I'm not like by that. I mean, I'm not going to go calling Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, like bad guys because they want to, you know, free agency is a a bit more volatile of a market than the extension market is. But I do think that it, it speaks a lot to who Mike Trout is that like, I saw a tweet that it was like, there's no tour. There was no fanfare. There was no, that he signed a 12 year extension or a 10 year extension technically and made half a billion dollars at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. Like we had heard like rumors of it. So it's actually like, well, like like 7 a.m. Like we had heard rumors of it, but like nothing more than like, oh, like maybe, maybe in a couple years, Mike Trout will think about doing this. There were no number rumors. There were no, there was hardly any speculation. And I think that, I don't know, like that, that speaks to a lot of what people diagnose as a problem in, in Mike Trout, but I think that's... How is that yeah, a problem? Just, it's, I mean, no, no, that's I'm not saying a, that that's the problem. No, I'm just saying I know, that I just reserved, think it's a dumb like, thing. Yondell called him the Mr. Say. Rogers of the MLB today. Like, I think that's a good way to look at it. I'm going to make one quick point about it, and that's... I think, it, it, Mike, you can't look at Mike Trout or Nolan Arenado, Manny Bryce Harper, and say that look at what they do and say that there is not a problem with major league free agency, just because those are the guys who are the premium top dollar guys. And they're going to get what they want, no matter what. Because teams need it. But when it, when right. a guy like Gio Gonzalez has proven themselves to be, you know, a capable at the very least player in this league for an extended period of time. And they have to wait until March 20th to make $3 million on a minor league contract. That's where the problem was. The problem doesn't yeah, the top lie. guys are on effect. And, and Manny Machado having to wait three months to make $300 million. I mean, yeah, it's more of like a top to bottom thing. Uh, the guys at the bottom, just, just it's not the same. It's not like those guys who are usually getting the low, like, million, $2 million deals are just barely scratching the surface with, like, minor league deals. Like, if you ask me, I'm surprised Neil Walker signed so early. And a guy yeah. like that who barely well, I mean, got a deal It is yeah. the Marlins and they do need bats and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm kind of going back to the whole Mike Trout thing. The thing that makes him great, the best player in baseball is that the dude just wants to do his job. He just wants to play baseball. He doesn't want all the, the notoriety. He just wants to play his game. And, and that comes with just no, like he doesn't really care about the whole fanfare. Like the dude's into meteorology. He couldn't care less about what people think about him. I think he he like some other guys in the MLB that I like I don't I can't really name off the top of my head but like he is just literally just a normal good dude who happens to be the best in the world at his occupation the best ever possibly right, well, I mean not not yeah he's uh, in the conversation but slow like, down a little absolutely bit. Like, he's he's right now he there's is nothing the best to slow world. down He's on pace he, he, to become the best he, ever. I mean, if you just look at the, the stats, the, it's going to happen. You just said he is the best ever. That's present tense. Future tense? I did not say he was the best like, ever. There's a, good, there's a good chance. I said, okay, we'll, man. We'll look, we'll, look at the, we'll look at the tape. He's after. the best active player in baseball. He's he's the best best active player. Player. I don't think there's anyone close. Yeah, no, it's not even close. See, that's Mookie the thing. I was telling one of my friends, like I was telling one of my friends yesterday who was a Red Sox fan, but a lackluster that, that, you know, one of my friends, you know, his roommate. So I was telling my friend and then his roommate kind of simultaneously that Mike Trout is so good at what he does. Like he is by, you know, the best player in baseball. And then the gap, but after, like after him for number two is remarkable. And then the gap or like the gap of uh, the spread, I guess, of two to 15 
you know, just for like a rough estimate, players number two to 15 is relatively close. Like the spread of talent among the elite players is just that they're all so elite, be it the Mookie Betts, the Aaron Judge, the Nolan Arenados, the Jose Altuves, and, and the Max Scherzers of the world. Like these guys are all so, so, so good at their trade that there's not much of a spread. And it's remarkable because they're all so good. But then you look at how consistently elite Mike Trout has been at what he does. And in my lifetime, I'm not sure. Actually, that's not true because I grew up in the steroid era, like at the at the butt end of it. But like the late years of Barry Bonds, the the years of Alex Rodriguez, I grew up, you know, we all grew up during those. But like. In my recent memory, the last 10 years, I don't know if we've seen a single individual athlete in America dominate their trade at such a high level for so long. You could think LeBron James, but like. Even then, there have been there's such a smaller gap. I mean, I don't think, you know, this is bad. I'm not going to go into it, but like, I don't think LeBron is the best player in the world anymore. But like, even when he was once considered that there was such a smaller gap between him and number two than there is between Mike Trout and number two this year, last year, the year before, the year before that and the year before that. And probably the three years before that as well. Yeah, no, you're right with that. And and it's interesting. Trout signed that you know it's a it's a extension that that means he's an angel basically for the rest of his career unless you know he ends up being a first baseman or DH you know that would be hilarious. Mike Trout the first baseman in his life you know he might end up there. He's signed until he's old, so he 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 might he's obviously not going to be a center fielder forever. Um, yeah, maybe he'll move to like right left field or something, but. And and Trout, you know, Trout had had a couple of years before he was going to end up on the free agent market. And there were, you know, rumors connecting him to Philly, you know, the Yankees connected to these big name free agents. But it's interesting because um, teams are, are starting to take advantage of how bad the free agent market has been. And they're moving towards extending their young guys um, before they're anywhere close to free agency. Um and and one of those guys who's who's closer than than most is Alex Bregman, who signed the five year, one hundred million dollar extension that will take effect next season, so that the Astros don't go over the luxury tax uh, threshold. Um, as well as Eloy Jimenez, before he even yeah, sees a he, pitch he, on a major league ball field, we thought signing, it would never happen because of the uh, Hector Gomez curse. Hector of, Gomez reported it three different times, um, and finally got it almost right the last time. Almost. Um, but Eloy Jimenez signing, I think it's six years and 43 million um, to be, you know, to not have his service time manipulated essentially um, with the White Sox to be their right fielder. And so, you know, the Yankees took advantage of it with Severino. They took advantage of it with Hicks. But the way that the arbitration system is is formatted and the way that those deals sort of present themselves to the team as well as to the player you know, there's a lot of guys, people say Bregman left money on the table, but the problem is he was not guaranteed a dime yeah. until he See, signed that contract. This makes an important distinction because I, you know, I consider myself to have a good, good enough understanding of contract situations in baseball. I think it's a bit simpler than a lot of the other sports, especially football. They, you know, football contracts are weird, but I think of myself to have a pretty good understanding. But when I was trying to wrap my head around the nuances of Alex Bregman's extension, I was thinking like I had literally just tweeted earlier that day that one of the two only players in the league that I could see 
making anywhere near close to Mike Trout on either a free agency contract or an extension was Alex Bregman. And I, I see him as over a $300 million player. But then I was thinking, I was like, $100 million, five years, that's like, that's highway robbery for the Houston Astros. And then JP kind of explained to me the, the idea of, you know, comparing what he would get in arbitration versus what he's getting now at $20 million. He was probably, if guaranteed anything, it was going to be what, $650,000 this year? He the was making, he, he got renewed at about six forty dollars $640,000. Um, and, you know, uh, if you just like go into like the, the details of like, you know, just, just quick, but like the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Know, so, yeah. so, so what happens is, is with the, the, the original deal was he was going to be a pre-arbitration player based on service time. That's how it comes together. Um, and make $640,500, which is, you know, a lot of money, but you know, drastically underpaid for what he gives you on the field. And so what he would have done is then moved into arbitration one, two, and three, um, which is of course the natural progression as then you end up with your six years of service time and then become a free agent. And so he's uh, in the first year of Bregman's of his new extension, he'll make 12 million, which would have been an arbitration one record. He would have had to beat Chris Bryant. And the thing about Chris Bryant and his arbitration one and all that stuff was if you look at what Bryant has done in his career, starting off with a rookie of the year, moving to an MVP and then, you know, a ring as well in 2016, you know, two all star seasons. That's what contributed to him making ten million dollars, just over, ten, you know, 10 almost 11 million dollars in his first arbitration eligible season and and i look at bregman's record and he, he wouldn't have done it he would not have gotten there he had won you know he was an all-star once finished fifth in mvp voting last season and he would he would not have done better than bryant and so the fact of the matter is that his arbitration number probably would have been seven eight nine ish million maybe yeah to start and see the things i I love alex bregman he he's in my top like three favorite players that are not on the new york yankees in major league baseball and him signing an extension with his current team you know even though it's not the new york yankees and him signing with the same apparel company as aaron judge in the past few days alone have Oh my God! He come to think of it, I, I like I didn't even wrap my head around the the juxtaposition of those two things. He is rolling right now, absolutely rolling. So Alex oh, Bregman, if you're listening, and you're in the South Shore, Massachusetts area, anytime from now until the middle of May, dinner's on you, buddy. So when you go play the Red Sox, <laughs> I don't know if you guys come to Boston anytime soon. My roommate, Brent, do the, do the Red Sox host the Astros in soon? All right. Well, he's looking like he doesn't. Like the Astros don't come to town. But if they do, dinner's on you, Alex. But yeah, I, you know, I, I, he, he is one of the, the great players in the league today. He is. And, and the thing about the thing about the extension, one one more quick point before we change gears, um, the, the Jimenez contract has such tremendous risk. Eloy Jimenez, you know, 
top. I, I love top, it. Like, I love top taking two, top three prospect for wow. the the White Sox. I don't have the exact number in front of me as I'm not a White Sox prospect aficionado. Uh, yeah, top top two, top three. He's actually top one. Um, per MLB pipeline. Um, there's just so much risk. The the Phillies did it with Scott Kingery and. But- with I just the don't White like it. Sox, there's not a risk considering they're. I don't know. I just think with it's their just like, it's, it's really not a risk though. Like how much because is that on no their payroll? Like, they have yeah. nowhere else to spend it. I think it was a smart move. The guy's going to be good. I mean, I yeah, know I mean, he is. Be, I mean, he's hitting three seventy five. I mean, in the minors. I mean, that's not an accident. That's. I mean, yeah, the guy I mean, is it's, it's, going to be good. It's I, not a. It's not a handcuffing contract for them. He is a you no, know, not at all. Just seven point two million dollar annual value. That's what you get when you sign these guys pre arbitration. He's making two million dollars and he maxes out at sixteen in two thousand twenty four. When he could be an elite player and you've got guys like you know, he's making as much as DJ LeMahieu is this year in two thousand twenty three. So yeah. I just, I just think there's a tremendous risk because what if he has a hole in his swing and will only hit 240? You know, Scott Kingery has guaranteed money. You know, he was hyped up as as a, a, a lot of things as a, as a strong infielder who could hit for average with a. It's only a four million dollar average annual value, but it's still there, especially for the Phillies who are in the you know spend to build mode at this point. So. I, I think that they'll I think they're better off with Jimenez than than the Phillies are. Um Yeah, and I think oh, like well, yeah. I, I don't hate the idea of extending young players throughout their arbitration years, but I would I would at least like to see them take one swing against a major league pitcher. Yeah, I think that that's a more like I don't hate like even it. if after after his rookie year they gave him the same exact deal, I wouldn't hate that right. at all. Right. Like I, I, I mean, do understand that there's a fair bit of risk. And before he makes his debut in the major leagues, extending him like that. If the Yankees, on the other hand, other hand extended Aaron Judge tomorrow. They to like should. Eight years and, I don't know, $250 million, I would go kiss Brian Cashman on the forehead. Yeah, that's something that they got to get done. It wouldn't be eight two fifty. It wouldn't. Be. You never end up getting the market value. That's a thirty-two million dollar annual value. It just never would yeah, be no, like that. That's that, a bit much. That was just off the top of the noggin. But like, maybe you know, like eight, eight, million, two, or eight years, rather. Yeah. Well, I mean, eight years, like one hundred and fifty million, or even like six years, and something like to buy out I mean, a couple he, years of free agency and the then thing. give him like, like an A Rod contract. Oh my God! Sign me so up. You. What what it would end up being is you know he has. The team control with with um, with Judge is so valuable at this point because you know he's at the point where he blossomed late enough that he's in his prime at the moment, which is great because he's just you know dripping in surplus value. Um, he's also just dripping, he, staying too close, you might fucking drown. <laughs> you know he's making six hundred eighty four thousand three hundred dollars total salary. If he plays the entire season in the major leagues, which he will, um, he'll probably shatter Chris Bryant's record next year for Arb one if he's not extended out of it. And, you know, he's he's 27 now. 28, 29, 30, free agent, 31. 
you know, they could sign him through 2024, 2025 to 32, 33, which they know will be his best years and can do so at a, at a rate that's, you know, they could probably get him at a, a deal that has an average annual value of maybe 18, 19, 20 million dollars because he won't have had the negotiating power of arbitration mm-hmm. and if he outplays that contract it's it's too bad you, you know Mookie Betts turned down an extension because he thinks he can outplay whatever contract he signs because you lose the negotiating power to take the guaranteed money you always leave money on the table to end up with the guarantee earlier Luis yeah. Severino is obviously not a 10 you know, $10 million average annual value player. Neither is Aaron Hicks. It, it just works like that. Um, and so, you know, you look at it with, with, with um, Eloy Jimenez and, and that's a significant risk. And the Yankees also have a significant risk on their table um, with another right wrist injury for Estevan Florial. Um, I think he, he was going back on a fly ball hit a couple of days ago hit the wall, came down, jammed his wrist on the, on the warning track, uh, played the rest of the inning, came into the dugout, um, and came out. Um, and at a time where Aaron Hicks is out, uh, Brett Gardner is old and Very Tyler old. Wade had the hip soreness. Um, Wait, that was flare up. I think I, he, thought, I thought he had his leg amputated in the middle of the game. Because oh my God. Yeah, it, he, he said it wasn't a big deal and just wanted to be safe with it. And I think that's, I'm and I think trust that's a very mature decision by a 23 year old who hasn't played in the major leagues yet. <laughs> right. Well, I think he knows how important the prospect, he is. Exactly. I think he understands the prospect of Clint Frazier's struggles right now. Aaron Hicks's injury, <laughs> Brett Gardner's old age and Jacoby Ellsbury's non-existence. I think he he takes all of those things into account and says, holy shit, I'm the backup center fielder and the, you know, outfield and infield utility guy. And I'm probably going to be in some late inning games. Right. I think I need need to not worry myself. With. A spring training game against the Astros, you know, with two weeks left in the season. Right. I I think we're going to, you know, you guys heard me. I was a bit critical of Tyler Wade the other day, or last episode, not to any fault of his own. I wanted to succeed with all my heart because it would help the Yankees. And I think this was a very mature and informed decision by him. And he's recognizing the fact that this may be his only, not his only, but like his best chance to break out and prove to the fans and to the front office and to the coaching staff that like he belongs on this roster. Absolutely. And, and for him to jeopardize that because he slept funny on the bus? No. God, no. Well, it was smart just because you end up exacerbating an injury if you're not stretched out and if you're not going to be able to, you know, ex, you know, center field is a position where you need a lot of explosiveness. Um, and with you know, if his hip is tight, he's not going to be able to run properly. And and and. With Fleuriel, the concern is is the wrist, and it's the same right wrist that he had the, the hamate surgery on. And the good news is he's actually only going to be in a cast for about three weeks. The or- original prognosis had been six. And so... That means four months in Yankees. Yeah, the Yankees like, medical oh. staff is extremely... Like, I don't know. Oh, that's the little, same thing about you saying having weight I know, legs like, amputated. The Yankees were so transparent, <laughs> though. They make everything seem... 
I don't know. That's, that's, that's a different story. The, the Hicks thing was was his own fault. I think he Go said he was. I think Aaron Hicks, Hicks is inept. I think yeah. Aaron Hicks was, is completely. Judge was because he was the he was an MVP candidate. He was an MVP candidate on two months. That's a different thing. They also didn't really. They told us a time frame. Yes, they did. Yeah, well, that's why they're. That's why I think they're being a little smarter. Time and time again. Yeah, and that. And that's an issue. I mean, that's all. Yeah. I, I mean, there is a bit of recency bias in that and that we yeah, no, of course there is. We've had so and there's also just like been a conglomerate of injuries all at one <laughs> yeah, time. Like within the last six months, we've had a lot of paranoia, essentially. That's exactly. really and all it is. Especially given that there are so many right now, we're we're scared that like Aaron Hicks being probably has the prospect of being the worst one. I think everything that happens now, everyone who, you know, their back itches, we're going to take it yeah, as they have scoliosis. 100%. Yeah, I, I know. Like Aaron Judge came out in the fourth inning of a game the other day after he smoked two baseballs to the moon. You know they weren't homers, but he hit the ball ridiculously hard. Played right field for four innings and was out, and there was panic. And it was like, wait, no, 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 no. Like, relax. He he got two at bats, smoked the ball twice, and that's that's all he needs to do to be like, all right, I'm happy. I'm happy with today. Um, exactly, and there's no reason people forget that, you, that these guys are going to be playing 162 releasing games and exactly. how many whatever games in the postseason. Like, it's okay. It's one yeah. game in the middle of March. Like, just relax. Right. You're, and Max, will be okay. you're good to go. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, I, I'm more happy that Aaron Judge smoked the ball twice and, and you know, he might have told the coaching staff and been like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I saw the ball well. I and, hit the ball well. Tough. Player yeah, think fans think, think that these are regular out. season games, and if a player is like voluntarily taking themselves out, a fan might think, an irrational fan at that might think, "Oh my god, he's hurt! Oh my god, like why would he take himself out of the?" Because it's the middle of March, and they haven't played like a meaningful the- baseball game yet. And God right. forbid he wants to save himself for those meaningful baseball games when you're actually attending the game and spending all that money that you're mad about spending in the first place for some fucking reason. When you're mad about spending that game and you're sitting in right field so you can get a better view of Aaron Judge, you're going to be pretty fucking happy that he took himself out of the fucking spring training game in the fourth inning so he could play nine innings every single day for 162 games a year. Barring injury from April April through October. Yeah, right. It it, it makes sense. It's like with the Wade thing to go back to it, but um, like... It was a prudent choice to not overextend himself in a game that doesn't mean anything so that come March 28th, you know, he'll be able to contribute something and be, you know, he could be the backup center fielder. He could start a couple games in center field and he could end up, you know, he's played third base. He's played left field. He's played right field. He's played shortstop. He's played second. He's played everywhere. He can play everywhere so far this spring. And so that's something that he knows and his speed, especially with the hips, if you think about it, is something that he needs to keep uh, um, tooled up and, and keep fresh as he goes into the season. Um, and that's something that he can and can work towards. And, and what concerns me about Floriel was he looked great. Oh, he looked it was a pleasure to watch him. So good. And and great. and you just feel bad because he's gonna miss more time and he, yeah. he's not gonna be able to um 
to be on the field doing what he does well. And, you know, he hit 355. His on-base percentage was 429. You know, he he was seeing the ball well. And 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 he, I saw him lay off a lot of tough pitches. And, and for a guy that his biggest knock is pitch recognition, and, you know, especially as the Yankees' number one prospect, um, you, you have to feel a little more, um, you have to feel, you know, a bit more hopeful about the guy after I felt like the last year was, was a lot of negativity about Florial. Oh, he's hurt. Oh, he's striking out. Oh, he's, you know, he hit 255 in Tampa. You know, he spent most of the season with a wrist injury that kept him from hitting for power, which is one of the things he's good at. Um, and so for him to come back and have a 945 OPS in, you know, 35 at bats is something that should should make fans a little bit more heartened about is especially when, especially when he, you know, I think the rush will be with Florial. Oh, trade him for X, Y, or, but you know, I think, I think, you know, he's young, he's, he's young and he's 21 had a nine forty five OPS against, you know, decent, not, you know, um, baseball reference as a, as a qualifier for, um, spring training stats where they um, aggregate the pitchers that they've um, faced and will spit out a number. And he's, his number is a seven, meaning he faced, you know, the average pitcher he faced was, was double a quality um, based on service time and innings pitched. Um, but he's a guy who hasn't, who only played in the double a playoffs a couple of years ago. And, and if he's hitting that well, that means, you know, if he hits three fifty five in double a this year, you have to think about him as a contributor to the team in 2020. Oh yeah. 100%, which, especially given the uncertainty of so many players in our outfield. I mean, right, like you Jacoby don't know Ellsbury. What's be I mean, well, yeah, like we, I was going to say Jacoby Ellsbury is an evergreen question mark. Brett Gardner will most Brett likely be a head of free agent. Yeah, he will be. Yeah, and obviously I think on Aaron Hicks and his and fucking back. Yeah. And his, you know, I guess I don't want to say inability to stay on the field, but his, his difficult, or, yeah, his his injury woes. I mean, there's just nothing else you can really say. But this team, besides so, like, the constant of Aaron Judge, who we saw is not immune to freak injuries, and Giancarlo Stanton, who is not necessarily the everyday fielder that we want him to be anymore. I mean, I'm sure he could be, but like we could find better upside in other players playing the outfield. There, there is. Yeah, I, I see so much he is writing a, he is on the more of a place on this team than people think. Yeah, he is yeah, more yeah. of a place in the organization and with the team than people want to give him credit for. Yeah, and I think just because they locked down Hicks does not mean that Florial is an instant trade ship. Hicks can easily slide over to left. Here's the idea that that I think might not get enough run until until we're in that situation is that we might end up seeing Aaron judge in left field eventually. And I would love if you think about it, think of think of it this way. You have judge in left Florial in center and Hicks with that arm and right. To me, that, that makes no sense because whoa. left is a lot like, I don't know. It's a lot like harder. I mean, like as he 
um, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense because as he gets like older with like his um size and everything, I don't like think he can like yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. It, it I just, agree that I don't, I don't know how much sense. sense it depends on how they age, though, because because exactly. um, I, I think Aaron Judge is a I mean, guy of his there. size and everything, though. I mean, yeah, it I just think, like he's not going to be judge, as um, judge could end up a first baseman mobile. before all is said, and I think that oh, that's yeah, also and, a distinct possibility. And the other thing yeah. about about Judge and Hicks, if if you look at their, if you go by um uh, the Statcast sprint speed ratings, which um it grades a certain number of, of full effort runs and it um, categorizes their speed, of course, from home to first, as well as other um, distances. Uh, Aaron Hicks is only two percentiles faster than Aaron Judge. And so the, the speed and um, athleticism side is an interesting thing to look at for who ends up where in the future, because um, Aaron Judge actually recorded more uh, of what are called outs above average um, in right field than Hicks did in center field. Uh, Judge was above, yeah, it was 56th percentile in that regard, whereas Aaron Hicks was, um, you know, significant, actually significantly below average. Um, he pulled in a 27th percentile outs above average as a center fielder. And so. You know, you wonder how long he he uh, he, uh, he stays in center field uh, going forward. Yeah, and that's and where, I, that's where I, Florial enters the equation. Exactly, and I like the prospect of Aaron Judge being a first baseman somewhere down the line, but I still think that, like, barring any acts of God or drastic changes to his body, I still think he has five to seven years left as an outfielder, or at least I would I, hope. Yeah, that's not unreasonable. I at least would hope because he plays he's outfield one at such an elite level right now that I don't see any signs necessarily besides the prospect of his body deteriorating because of his size and his usage. I don't see anything that really points to him mandating a switch to a lower intensity position like first base or DH. Yeah, and you I also think funny. he benefits. Imagine Judge playing like third base. It would never happen. But like, just you don't imagine really seeing that. Here, I know, Jose saying, Bautista somehow, but like that, that big fucking body at third base, that'd be hilarious. Yeah, I, I, but like, well, he was, third, he was but, a third yeah. baseman yeah, coming I'm up sorry, and then played the outfield after the fact. But um, I think it's like, I think he has the benefit of never being expected to be a center fielder. Yeah, a lot of you know, I think a lot of the people who come up with a big, um amount of athleticism uh you know that's part of the hype in their profile they end up being you know center fielder center fielder you know, clint frazier is one of them um where you um expect them to be these elite athletes all the time and and you end up just looking at them and being like all right you're a corner outfielder eventually and i think judge always was and so yeah. that's something that's going to work yeah, to his benefit right. and we've seen guys like andrew benintendi on the on the opposite end of the spectrum as Clint Frazier come up as center fielders and he made a like essentially flawless transitional left field. I'm sure he's played left field throughout his career, but he made a, a, you know, more or less perfect transition over the corner outfielder, uh, the corner outfielder position. And in terms of other guys who have done that, we see people like Aaron Hicks and Jacoby Ellsbury, which leads us to, our DMs for this episode, and we only have one for this one, and it's from 
at Atomic underscore YKZ, Robert asks, do you think Ellsbury, a center fielder slash left fielder, could possibly fill in for Hicks, a center fielder slash left fielder, while Hicks is out? My personal opinion is we should put in Wade, is what Robert says, end quote. Yeah. I'll make it fast. No, he can't because that's what I've been told by like everyone that he's not even um, close. So I would no. love the idea of it if Ellsbury reported to camp a month and a half ago, but Ellsbury hasn't yeah. seen yeah, live pitch really. in a year and a half. So I don't think he's ready. I like the idea of it, given Ellsbury's health, which is obviously not there. Like I'm not saying it is, and I'm not saying it will be anytime soon. If it were there, I would love it. Because he's been there before. Like, he's obviously handled right, he's the, center starting position, center the center fielder position at the major league level before. But for right now, I think Gardner should start in left field, or rather, start, uh, center field, sorry, Stanton in left. And Wade should be the backup. So, you know. Yeah, I think. Whatever situation <laughs> might dictate that they need a backup center fielder or left fielder, it should be Tyler Wade. And there's John really no other option right now besides right. Tyler who stinks. Well, John is dead on by saying that Ellsbury, he's just not ready. No, I mean, I, there's the video the that fault of his I, own. he won't uh, ever be ready. I've been saying this. He's done. He's never going to play again. They'll, they'll release him, did. I think. I don't think yeah, he's at gonna some point. I, I don't in. think. But, um, you know, there's been videos of him on the backfields and he, you know, he's rusty. He hasn't. He's just not in baseball shape. And that's fine. I guess, you know, he, he's been hurt and he, he can't do as much when he's. You know, plantar fasciitis is a nagging injury. Um, and so he gets hurt on the couch. The way it works yeah. is, is um, for for the team. I think, I think at this point you're, you're going to be forced to start Gardner in center field. And he's looked fine. He looks like he's been moving well. And his yeah. I don't know if he changed speed, anything throughout the offseason, but he looks, his sprint he looks speed great. numbers have been elite still. He's yeah. still a really fast guy in terms of the, the landscape of the league. And and what it ends up doing is it ends up allowing the Yankees to avoid the um, inevitable issue of choosing between their first basemen who are both obliterating the baseball in, in spring. And, and I know that problem to have. people don't want to validate Greg Bird off of spring training at bats, but want to crown Luke Voigt a top 10 first baseman in baseball off of 30 games last yeah, it's, year. It's the narrative. I tweeted this the nice other day narrative. that Greg Bird homers, it's, oh my gosh, he's a Grapefruit League Hall of Famer. But when Luke Voigt homers, it's, oh yeah, it's over. He's the first baseman. It's sort of just like, it's a sort of bad faith argument about both of them. Um, and and the good thing for for both of them and for the sake of <clears throat> people who who like to argue about the Yankees is that both of them are going to head north. I think that's yeah, where we're ending up. Should. Is and they both is you end up Stan, You end up with Stanton in left, Gardner in center, and whichever one of the two is playing first base is playing first base, and the other is the DH. That's or, how it should be. Or one sits so Andujar can DH, and it probably depends on the pitcher. Um, but yeah, I think you know, if they have I a lefty think, on the mound, they might throw Andujar at, and the um, at the DH, and then Lemayhu at third, and then like you know, sit first, Greg, yeah, yeah, and sit Greg Murphy for the day, which I wouldn't hate. I mean, like we, we understand, like fresh, we saw Greg Bird hit a literal moonshot off a fucking lefty the other night, off a lefty. Yeah, yeah and, and that's like a He's going to be in the. Jalen Beeks will be in the Rays bullpen. I mean, he yes, is, he is, for, he is a pitcher who will be on a major league roster. And so 
and and using that baseball reference stat that that, that quantifies um the abilities of pitchers that they've faced is you know as of the other day bird had faced higher quality pitchers and the thing about bird is i, I feel like voight has come out with this mentality of he wants to prove he is who he is and so he's swinging a bit more which is fine because he's been producing for the most part i think he's you know he's shown his ability to get his bat on the baseball which is obviously what he's being paid to show up and do um but i've been more impressed with greg bird looked like he couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag and he also just looked like he didn't know where things were you know what was happening he couldn't really know what he was doing on the field and so you know he's um he's had the ability to um to walk and and hit the ball well and and i don't think embarrassed himself on the field and i don't think um i don't think it's a problem honestly and so i would love to just like gary sanchez forget that 2018 greg bird ever walked the face of the earth because here's the thing you know fan you know oh he said something about to be here oh um you know blah 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 it's such a load of crap that people are holding this stuff against him and like i hated it but like i'm very willing i'm i'm ready if he proves to me both oh, I'm ready to be the, the biggest Greg Bird fan if it's exactly if it like, makes sense to be. And so life, I've been waiting for for a guy, a first baseman, which I am, a lefty, which I am, to come and just take the Yankees by storm. And this is this was the guy. And I felt I feel like a lot of my resentment towards Greg Bird is the fact that he failed me to those expectations, especially also, last year. Which is I mean, of, understandable, but like also a little bit unreason- unreasonable because I'm a Yankees part of it, fan. Like Bird is also like the team has given him a lot of chances. And and the other part of it is that the team is in the position to do so because financially and contractually, Greg bird is, is like the lowest on the rung. Like he is one of the lowest paid players on the team. And, you know, he has minor league options and all this stuff that lets them, you know, work around his struggles. He's, he is the lowest salary arbitration guy he's making 1.2 yeah he's the puppet for the yankees right now it's at this point you know and he can go to the minors he was never optioned after 2015 he spent so much time on the disabled list he's been on the major league team technically the whole time so you know then any of the next three seasons he can be sent down with no issue um and so to to wrap what i'm saying up is you look at what they've done this spring and and what they seem to be continuing to do this spring and i think it's great to let them go into the season continuing to battle for who will be the first baseman because Hicks being out allows them to carry both. And so yeah. that's how you, you know, tie it back into who should be in center field. Um, Gardner makes the most sense. Stanton makes the most sense and left. And it lets you open up that DH spot to add another bat who could be incredibly potent, especially with the left swing uh, with the short porch. Yeah. And I think Greg Bird, if he is to his full capacity, will be taking advantage thereof and i think yankees fans will quickly forget the woes of 2018 when they see greg bird possibly hit you know 20 home runs 25 home runs this year and hit 250 plus but i think a lot of the attraction of greg bird being on the roster and being in the organization why he wasn't traded is because of the prospect of what he can do and also like you mentioned because of his contractual 
flexibility, I guess. So that leads us into uh, the voicemail that we have tonight, which I will queue up right now. Hi, uh, it's Andrew from Connecticut. Uh, with the Mike Trout contract that's happening, I don't know what you guys thought Aaron Judge was going to get. I know he's going to be a bit older at 29 when he gets off of his rookie deal. So that might play into it, but I was wondering what you guys think Judge not only deserves, but what you think he's going to get. I'd pay him anything, honestly. I love the guy, but um, what, he's going to be 28 after this year? 27 so, after this year. Thanks. Okay, 27 after this year. 28 season. Okay, so I'd give him 8 to 25-ish, honestly, without an issue. I would want to buy him out through about 33 or 34 age season. And in terms of a money... Like in terms of a dollar amount, I would really give him. Like I think he's a three hundred million dollar player, especially if he. I don't think he is. I think he is. I these plays. I don't like level. Yes, just his age is. Yeah, the age is the only concern. But I think being the New York Yankees and also paying to keep him around and paying for the brand and paying for what he gives to New York. I think five hundred million. Exactly. I think you cough it up a little bit to give him the sexier contract and keep, obviously I don't think he's going to go anywhere, but to keep him around and keep him. And also I think by the time he's a free agent, he should be named captain. I, and I well, believe I that a little bit more money first. is. I, well, I think a little bit more money is in line. If a guy has a C yeah, on yeah. his chest. I agree. I think you keep him in, in uniform with the Yankees until at the very least, um, the same length as Hicks Severino through um, more of Hicks than Severino, but Hicks through 2025 with an option for 26. I think you got to keep him, you know, he's just his ability to, to hit the ball hard and, <laughs> and, and be elite in that regard. It gives him so much room to fall off and still be a ridiculously good player as he gets yeah. older. He's 26. He hits the ball harder than every, literally everybody in the league, like, like a hundredth percentile in every single bad ball statistic that you want from a power hitter in a middle of the order guy. And so they have the flexibility to do that. And uh, you know, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who will fall off No, to to a significant margin. <laughs> and so I think, Oh my gosh, it's hard to sort of put it into <laughs> You know his his market value, according to Spot Track, uh, the the payroll uh, database. They introduced a, a new feature about market value, and they put in uh, similar players, similar contracts. Um, they compared him to Jose Altuve, the first Mike Trout deal, uh, Cespedes, and Stanton, and they think that his average annual salary should be about twenty seven million dollars, twenty six point seven to be exact. Exactly. And I think so, that's his that's his analytical valuation. And then I think the Yankees should add on seven million dollars being Aaron Judge. And so and running the it's city. Interesting because they spit out a contract idea. And I think it's pretty on par with what he'll end up being offered. Yeah. And that's eight to thirteen. And I think if you give him two twenty over eight years, a twenty seven and a half million dollar average annual based on the fact that he still has three years of arbitration that he cannot fully negotiate against the team. I think that's very fair. It's it's higher than Stanton, but I think that at this point, Judge has proven to be a better player. That's sort of a hot take that I have is that Judge has been a lot of people. 
I just think that Judge Judge makes better contact and walks yeah. more. He's just okay, a better on base player. Better in this. And so that combination of field. what he does at the plate and what he does in the field, as well as the fact that he is the face of the Yankees at the moment, at you know the age that he is and the time that he's, he's played the face in, of baseball. You know exactly, and he's you know everywhere in New York. You know the Pepsi ads, everything. He's so ubiquitous with New York, with the Yankees that it just makes so much sense. Lock him up, work with him, and and make it make sense. And I think that they can do that because of how Judge operates and how the team operates. I think they can end up on the same page and and end up with something amicable. You know, pretty pretty easily. And you know, the, the rumors that have come out have been that the Yankees haven't really been talking to Judge. They've been more focused on Gregorius and Batanzas, who I think are greater priorities at this point, given that Judge literally cannot leave until 2023 anyway. Whereas um, Gregorius and Batanzas can leave after no, this I'm year. Um, yeah, Batanzas is a more important player. You know, to a certain degree, because we've seen Glaber Torres play fantastic shortstop, but of course, mm-hmm. Didi has been a heart and soul guy <laughs> yeah, for he's... as long as he's been here and as long as he's been confident in himself. Um, but, you know, Judge, you know, 8, 220, 225, at that point, you you make it work, you know give or take five to ten million dollars and and put the pieces together throw in some club options and and you know put it on the table sign sealed delivered he should be a yankee for life without question i would like to see the yankees include no opt-outs in his contract like we've seen with mike trout and bryce harper because if he's signing an extension they won't give him opt-outs because they control him for the next four anyway yeah yeah but like even if they do like reach free agency after an extension i would love to see no opt-outs if that's still what like the market demands and what the cba agrees with i would love to see that because we've already seen the sentiments expressed by fans that they like seeing the no opt-outs because it, it expresses some sort of loyalty and dedication to the club whatever period of time they were there Bryce Harper is going to be in Philly for 13 years we know that and Trout's like, that's the thing and Trout is going to be in LA for better or for worse for 12 more years and there's nothing that's really going to change that in like unless you know they both have full no trades exactly so I you know I and I would love to see that from the Yankees with Aaron Judge and you know much farther down the line somebody like Gleyber Torres but for now we're looking forward to some baseball a week from today or tonight. It's even Thursday at this point, Thursday morning. Now, um, one week baseball. That's insane. Real baseball. It matters real, this time. real meaningful baseball. And I'm not talking five thirty AM baseball between two shit teams. I'm talking real, authentic, meaningful New York Yankees baseball versus the Baltimore Orioles. An afternoon contest in the Bronx. Can you think of anything more poetic than the beautiful Bronx air sweeping through the facade at Yankee Stadium, brushing through the hair of Aaron Judge in right field, and just captivating the 40,000 fans in attendance and the millions of fans watching on television? from the comfort of their homes that New York Yankees baseball will be back and for an extended period of time for our enjoyment and for our our 
physical and mental deterioration and well-being. And it's just that when baseball season comes around, I mean, man, that shit's awesome. That shit is awesome. I can't wait to be looking at my computer or my TV screen, seeing the real life pinstripes just right there. And no more of these blue uniforms. I like it. I, anytime I get to look at Aaron Judge as a win in my book, when I see him wearing the pinstripes, it's just going to be its gonna be a great day. It'll be a great day, and it's only a week away. And then we get 162 times, 162 times of it. Oh, man, I'm excited if you can't tell. So send us those DMs. Keep sending us those voicemails. Keep listening, rating, subscribing, telling friends, retweeting our you know incessant tweets promoting our episodes help us out help us help you that's what the whole premise is we're here to give you guys best yankees analysis coverage and reactions on the market as the season starts it's only going to ramp up we're going to be getting better and better couldn't thank you guys enough go yankees Mm -hmm.